Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Robert Andrew Baxter. And I'm Kyle Claudianchi. And together we are a music band called Penny and Sparrow, coming to you live from Florence, Alabama, where we are in the midst of doing music, our job. Thank you for clarifying that you're in a music band versus like a dance or a poetry band. You know, it could know be one of those things. There's many kinds of bands. <laughs> Audible pop in the hammock Gravity come out of habit Land on our back, get your breath kidnapped Ain't a kind of theft if you laugh Whenever you can inhale I wanna lay right here with you for the whole day Don't wanna move till you say we should Our tub is clawful God, our love is all good Naked with no falsehood I can see you just fine God, you're fine too Tell me if I'm out of line You just twist so easily How you stretch when waking up Trouble isn't anyone seeing all that They might die what a way to go in my mind You like the seats and her vibration All right, you're listening to The Show on the Road. I'm your humble audio spirit guide, Zach Lupiton, and as always, it is my job to bring you into the threads of this magical sonic tapestry. And uh, whatever Kyle and Andy are making down south, I need it. And talking to these guys, it's made me think about the friendships in my life. I've had a really incredible and bizarre and horrifying and magical last few months. I had a newborn arrive in my house like magic, and my wife was under the knife and almost lost her life in the hospital. You need friends who are there for you no matter what, at all hours of the day. It takes a village, they say, to raise a kid, and they're damn right. And as you'll hear in our conversation, this new record that Penny and Sparrow has dropped called Ali Ali, I think really gets to the heart of what real friendship is. Maybe it's the knowledge that wherever you are in the darkest of nights, your comrades are waiting to give you a safe passage home. I have to say I'm really grateful that I can share some of my favorite music with you here on this podcast, and I'll be having a new radio show on Sundays on 88.5 KCSN in L.A. coming soon in May. Check it out. It'll be called Sway Out West Sundays. If you want to support my songwriting, well, my band Patio Club, our sister group to Dust Bowl Revival, will be playing at Hotel Cafe Friday night, April 15th at 8 p.m. on the second stage. Come see some really rare, cool solo songs of mine. And Dust Bowl Revival will be playing in Texas at Old Settlers Fest, April 22nd near Austin. And please don't forget to rate and share this podcast. That's it for me. Here they are now, Penny and Sparrow.
as we speak, Ali Ali is going to come out uh, this weekend, pretty much, right? Yeah, that's right. Are you excited? Are you scared? What what is the what is the feeling putting a record out in this bizarre climate right now? Oh man, for myself, uh, I am very excited for it to come out. All, only excitement, only positive emotion when it comes to wanting this to be uh, in its entirety able to be heard by people. Really excited about the release. Uh, as for uh, traveling and doing shows coming up, that's a different story. That's a mixture of nervousness and excitement and will they, won't they? Huge ambivalence meter there. But as for the release, I'm jazzed. Same with me. Perfect way to describe it. I have nothing to add. Take it, do one of you or both of you have some sort of Germanic heritage that prompted the Ali Ali Oxen Free mantra to lead this album forward? Tell us about that phrase. Do you have any German in you? Mainly German. Mainly German. It's not why, but so German. We'll say it is from now on. I mean, look at that jaw. So Germanic jaw, the very Germanic jaw, brow. Well, Texans have Germanic heritage, right? right. It's yeah, true. And we both are Texans originally, so that stands for something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were told that there was going to be a bunch of good land in Texas, mm -hmm. so the Germans came down, ended up being really rocky and bad soil, so they invented the tractor. Thank That's you. why we have the tractor. Thanks, Germans. Lots of German lagers. German Indeed. lagers. Indeed. Uh, the phrase came from, it was a working title for a song that was going to be on the album that we felt was, at the time, the lyrics were pretty all-encompassing for what we were trying to do with the whole record. And then we thought to ourselves, wait, 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 rather than use that title for that song, why not use it for the whole album? So did a little bit of research on etymology of the phrase and love all that it stands for, love the um all those in hiding come come out i love the idea that uh if you look into all the meanings and all the usages for games that kids would play way back then it works and it feels indicative of what we we're trying to do and where we're at now current iterations of self so i like that i studied german not by choice but because my elementary school had german and spanish every day of the week wow from first through eighth grade and uh, so I feel like I'm qualified to say the full phrase. Ale, ale, ach, sind frei. My question to you is, when you play music together, do you feel like it's unlocking some part of yourselves that's not able to be free otherwise? Do you guys act as sort of key openers for each other? Is that how the duo works? Like, why... Why both of you together? Why not do your own thing? Like, how did I know you guys met University of Texas and all that, but like it's a pretty long collaboration at this point. You guys have really made some amazing music for uh, almost 10 years now. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I wouldn't say that it's an unlocking thing necessarily. I think that um, ideally we're trying to uh, both self and musically be exactly who we are. That's, I mean, I think the end goal for us. And that's a difficult path with a bunch of, when you're trying to sift through influences and uh, insecurities, a whole bunch of different things that are keeping you from uh, finding kind of the core of who you are. So I feel like that's who, what both of us are trying to do. I would say, I think it, it helps having another person around that, I mean, Andy is my best friend. Um, and so that's, I mean, that's why, we, in my opinion, that's why we do music is I just have a killer time making music with Andy. Um, but I think that just like a lot of duos, there's something unique when you mesh two people's personalities, the chemistry that comes along with um, two musical influences that are getting exactly what they want is um, bring, it just creates a, its own unique, unique sound and is a ton of fun. Yeah. I echo those sentiments, Kyle. Oh man, we're really nailing these we questions. We really are. Like, I would happily be the key to your lock. Yeah. And you to mine would allow it openly. 
Uh, it's nice because this collaboration of Andy and Kyle is way older than Penny and Sparrow's collaboration because we were friends first. And even through the first three records, we never thought that we were going to be full-time musicians. We were doing it because we enjoyed it. We kept day jobs for a really long time. And I talked to Kyle, even though we live in different states now, I talk to Kyle every day. And I've slept in uh, a bed with him on more nights, at least equal to, if not more nights than I have with my wife. Very close to equal. Very close to equal. Very close. Band wife. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, best friend, band wife. Same amount of touching. Yeah, same amount of touching. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, man. It's... It feels great to make music with your best friend. All of a sudden, there's way less shit to get in the way. Um, you feel like you can fully be yourself with your best friend, and we just get to make music out of the reservoir of that, and that's pretty nice. Well, some of the tracks on this new record, um, I love Voodoo especially, um, are pretty uh, sensual, intimate, dare I say, vulnerable to the point where you're talking about your innermost fantasies and secrets and uh, romantic hopes and dreams. Now, yeah, as two bros, mm. do you share those things with each other as you're writing lyrics? Or is it something like, no, these lyrics exist before the music starts and then they're sort of created and stitched together. Love that. So many questions wrapped in one. I'm going to pick it apart and take it in reverse. Okay, so our process, the way that we do it, is we're incredibly symbiotic musically. Like, we are necessary to one another's process. You asked earlier about no uh, solo thing. Uh, Kyle could probably have a solo career devoid of me. I could not. Uh, without him. Like what we bring to the table is decidedly uh, yin and yang. He's predominantly responsible, 95% plus for melody, and I'm predominantly responsible for lyrics. And he will send me um, a melody of him doing just oohs and ahs or nonsensical gibberish words. And then I get to play Mad Libs with those tracks and attach what feels like the meaning after I interview Kyle and after I go through what I feel as I listen to his melody and then attach it. And so that's our process. And it's maintained that way with a few outliers along the way. Sometimes like on this record, I'll send him words and then he gets to out of thin air, judging just by those lyrics, attach a melody to them, which is a really fun exercise. And we've come about it from various different ways, but mostly the way that we do it is, as I mentioned, we, we each bring to the table our own world that we feel adept in. And then we get to make the tunes and co-edit each other at the final 10 yards of the, the field. We become airborne and we float around at night. Way above a tree line, you're mine. Backing up, you mentioned about uh, uh, hyper-erotic lyrics on this one. There are many. Voodoo has big losing your virginity energy. And uh, that is a really fun to write, a uh, really fun vantage point to write from, really freeing vantage point to write from. And so for us who growing up had uh, not a lot of experience as it pertains to openly talking about discussing or feeling safe about sexuality, there's nothing I wouldn't talk to Kyle about, which is the first question you asked. Do we talk about our, I uh, think basically said, do we talk about our fantasies? Yeah. like Talk about it all. Talk about all. One day I hope to lose my virginity. One day it's going to happen. So for we you. talk. We talk through that pretty often. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but that is my fantasy, and uh-huh. so hopefully we'll get there one day. Strangely enough, on Voodoo, a story we just learned, we have a human that we know who shall remain nameless, who listened to Voodoo and realized that it was basically a retelling of the exact uh, manner in which he uh, lost his <laughs> flower. And, uh, oh man, what a happy moment that was for us. Happy, happy moment, happy accident.
you guys both grew up uh, pretty Christian. Am I right? That's a good way yeah. to put it. Pretty, pretty Christian. Pretty Christian. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty Christian. Which makes some of this uh, open uh, discussion probably against your nature somewhere deep down, right? Now you're much more free and, 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 and revealing it openly. But when you grow up in that environment, I think you're told that that should be hidden away. You wait maybe only to share that with your future wife or spouse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the act of sharing this openly with a male compadre, I think mm-hmm. is a pretty radical act in a way, right? The anomalous type of relationship that Kyle and I have is not lost on either one of us. Like we're hyper aware of the fact that the level of comfort we have with each other and vulnerability and like the type and depth of uh, intimate discussion and confession and understanding we have is frankly, it's enviable. Um, it, It is a really beautiful thing that has been hard fought, hard earned over years and years of getting to know ourselves and getting to know each other getting to know our partners. And uh, yeah, to to go off what you said earlier, there was a fair amount of uh, feels like inherited from the culture and from upbringing repression of like, well, we don't talk about this, it's not proper, or there's just not space for that. And so whether it was intentional or unintentional, you learn to um, eradicate arousal, eradicate anything that is intimate or erotic or sensual. Mm-hmm. And that, in my opinion, is wildly unhealthy. And so the older we get, the more that we learn ourselves, the more free we feel to be our unadulterated selves, the more open you feel about talking about those things, and the more you really want other people to uh, be free and to do a similar path. I mean, not the exact same steps we took, but the idea of having that intimate comfort with not only yourself, but with people you love and that you allow into your inner circle. I think it's a really amazing thing. But even going back to your early record, 10 bloom, right? You have a song like duet that has been listened to tens of millions of times at this point, uh, that you did with Stephanie Briggs. Um, again, even back then, you're talking about sort of a married couple's most intimate moments, right? Um, and I think there's some biblical imagery that is threaded throughout. Um, do you feel like your songwriting has um, evolved from Ten Bloom to now, or do you feel like you are just sort of um, newer versions of yourselves that you've always sort of known this identity? I would say evolved. Yeah. From from 10 Boom to now, like we've definitely evolved, not only as people, but as musicians. We're better at our craft. We're better at our, the individual things that we bring to the table and how we fuse them together in the final 10 yards, as I mentioned. So yeah, we had, it felt like uh, way back in the day with 10 Boom, we were trying on some newness and trying on some things that we knew were going to make folks uncomfortable. and But we felt like that discomfort was good. Like that friction was a healthy one. Like uh, cut the hair to make it grow longer. And like, so some of that was going on. And now it just feels like I, again, piggyback off of this, whatever you got, but it feels like I'm so much more me than I ever have been. And Mm -hmm. like from 10 boom to now, so much has changed in what I believe and what I think and how I live that uh, that informs what I write about, how I write about it, how we sing it, how we do interviews. Um, yeah, so I yeah. Think, I'm, there's so many different ways to write music. Uh, you can try, uh, if you wanna be a pop artist, you're not gonna write the same way that we do. Um, and we, I think that we just found, I think that what's unique to go back to the older question about our chemistry and what we bring, this is just what we wanted to do. This is what fires us up collectively we like writing songs that are basically processing our life and processing what we're seeing. Um, and I think that, that we've done that from the beginning. And you can it's you can just see a little bit of that, of our, basically our life journey and how we're processing through it throughout the, I don't know, 10 years that we've been doing this now. Yeah.
It feels like you could look at any album along the way and you would have had a snippet of what we were like and who we were and what we were processing through, the books we were reading, the people we were talking to, the relationships we were forming throughout each season of our life. Because I've seen you and I know Is there a point in a long tour when it's just you guys in the van and maybe you flesh out your band, you have a, a larger group with you, but like there's gotta be points where you're sick of each other. <laughs> I mean, or, or maybe not. It's, I don't know if it's as much of sick of each other as just ready to be home. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think. No. I, yeah. I think that it's so weird to say, I think we have a very unique friendship. I don't, I don't think I ever get really tired of, we're all, I feel like the entire tour, anytime we're together, it's a good mix of um, everything. And that doesn't mean that we don't fight throughout it, right. but we also are super good at conflict resolution. That's and I think that that's because both that. of us are uh, like, but even before we were friends, that whatever made us who we are uh made us peacemakers wanting like wanting to resolve as the fight was happening immediately so just um we're we're like naturally a good fit for conflict it truly does feel like this is this is like the goal a lot of um marriage counselors will tell you this and it's really true for friendships as well or at least i think it ought to be between kyle and i when we sense conflict pretty immediately both of us recognize that this is not me versus kyle it's me and kyle trying to figure out what the the fuck is wrong and us going to war on the point of friction that's between because i'm not trying to win kyle's not trying to win i'm trying to uh get rid of the thing that's clearly either a miscommunication or an apology needs to get made or whatever but you come to grips with the fact that i love him I know that he loves me and vice versa. And so at the end of the day, I don't, I don't want there to be beef. And so when we have it, and it does happen, like we have conflict, we're just, like he said, we've got now 15 years of conflict resolution practice that we constantly have to engage in at some level. And we're just better at arguing than most humans. <laughs> well in a way like a song like need you for example now on the surface it feels like again a romantic fable but it could be about the deepest type of friendship right yeah. that like you fall in love with the people you really need around you right yeah. that you really want to work with that you want to spend incredible amounts of time with sometimes they become your wife or your husband but like when you say that line that's how bad i need you right you have these symbiotic roles almost like a elton john and uh bernie toppin and they have these exact roles that they have crafted bernie sends him this sort of stream of consciousness uh you know page of words you know blue jean baby la lady and the, and then elton's like okay yeah and here's the melody coming out of the page and it's kind of like a magic trick that i don't know how that even works since i always write lyrics and, and, and melody and stuff together but there was a period I remember where I lived in Venice Beach 
here in LA and I did not have parking. I did I had no where to park at this little beachside room I was renting. So I had every night I came back, I had to search for parking for 45 minutes. Oh, that sucks. And then I had to walk back to my apartment. And at first I hated it. And then I realized that I could use it as this exercise where I could try to write a song just from singing off the top of my head without writing anything down. No guitar, obviously. And some of my favorite songs came from those late night walks where you had no crutch of a guitar or a piano. It was just stream of consciousness from the universe directly into your mouth. You're doing melody and lyrics at the same time? Well, it would be like, you'd start singing, like, like I'm just going to start singing something, right? Sure. Yeah. Sometimes it'd be gibberish. Sometimes it'd be, you know, but by the time you got home and you could reach for your guitar feverishly, you're like, this is something really cool that I never would have thought of. Yeah. Because we get stuck in our own processes, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Like, here's the five chords that I like to work with. Rearrange them in this one way again, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, just um, like arguing, just like relationships, like you have those, uh, what are the mental wagon wheel ruts that we talk about? What's the phrase I'm looking The neural for? pathways? Yeah, like your yeah. neural pathways are like, right. for years and years they get set. And it's the same way with creativity. Like if I find myself banging my head against the wall, doing the exact same process to do lyrics over and over again, I got to get out of that wagon wheel rut and do something different. I actually love what you just described as a creative writing exercise. Right. Yeah, having to go on a 45. I mean, I've, I've done a similar thing where I'm like, I just have to change what I'm looking at. I'm going to leave this table that I'm sitting at and go into the other room. I'm going to lay down. I'm going to sit in a chair in the front yard. I'm going to go on a walk. I'm going to ride in my truck and write uh, on my phone. Like anything to shake off that uh, rut. And I very much get down with that. Same thing with being on my little Vespa motorcycle thing, you know, with the kind of wind rushing by you. And all you can do is sort of sing like, almost like a mantra over and over again. Mm-hmm. And by the time you can like pull over and get your voice memo out, you're like, wow, that is something that I don't know where that came from. Oh, yeah. It came from the wind or something, you know? Yeah. My, uh, my neighbors, I think probably think I'm a little bit crazy because I just walk around the streets, walking my dog, just humming or singing loudly. <laughs> and I'll eventually find stuff in voice memo. Voice memo is a great tool that we have now man as a society for song game changer yeah it's funny like apple does all their commercials or their billboards for phones with the with the photography aspect as the main thing yeah they should really do an ad about probably most of today's music being created on these little snippets of voice memo i mean that's how music is created right now yeah, we, we marry shelly our shit together with scattered untitled numbered voice memos all the time do you have your phones with you right now uh-huh. yeah can you share a couple like do you have like because i sometimes title mine in really weird stupid ways but do, can you share a couple that maybe uh you're working on right now i have groovy in b flat or sexy kitchen groove I have a uh, free with what appears to be 11 E's demo free. Okay. Demo. Very uh, free. Okay. Or not. Okay. Question mark. That's one. A cannibal. There's another one. Okay. I'll send me one called boop boop. That's uh, B O O P B O O P. Love that. You got any good ones? Just nonsense. Drag zap. <laughs> cool. Sounds like the Eagles. <laughs> 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 no, Which two, era of the Eagles? 260. Good question. Yeah. Greatest hits volume one or two? <laughs> El Freeze is over only. <laughs> only. Only and ever. Which I'm pretty sure is also a greatest hit. Ooh, I like this one. High shit Cosmos, but Cosmos is all caps. Nice. I don't know what that one is. Let's go revisit that one. Irish song? <laughs> question mark? Irish song? Question mark? Do you remember the first artist or the first song that really moved you and made you consider writing your own music when you were young? Hmm. I know uh, one of the earlier things that moved me, but I don't know that I had any clue. 
two things come to mind. It didn't make me want to write my own music. It was more just being really impressed that music could do that to me. And it would be uh, The Cranberries, Linger, uh, and me listening to my grandmother giving me the Andrew Lloyd Webber CD for Phantom of the Opera with Sarah Brightman and Michael Crawford. So like the original cast recording. She gave me that CD when I was really young and I just wore that shit out. And I remember when story met lyrics, met melody, I was like, oh shit, this is, mm. this is good. This crock pot has good ingredients. I think I can track mine. Um, so I think started with the Goofy movie when I was like eight. Loved the Goofy movie. Powerline. Yeah. Powerline, amazing. And then Hanson were kids my age. So I was like, oh, we, I can do this. Felt a little bit of self-efficacy efficacy bump. I was like, I can, I can make this happen. Got some drums. Uh, then I found Dave Matthews Band, and I was like, these guys rip. Facts. Um, really fell in love with it. And then Radiohead. And then um, I think that for recording and writing songs. Yin Yang Twins. Yin Yang Twins only. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, Bon Iver's first project where he did it like in his cabin or whatever. I was like, oh, that we we don't have to go to a studio. I don't have the money to go to a studio, but I can write yeah. a song and record it. And uh, so I, I think I had already had like a recording thing at the time and me and Andy just recorded. That was our first EP was just recorded in an apartment. And now we're here. <laughs> well, you guys have had, you know, more success than most on the streaming platforms. People are able to find you um, in ways that 20 years ago would not be possible. Right. right? I mean, you could talk shit about Spotify and Apple music and all that stuff, which there's a lot of issues there, obviously. Um, but I think it has lifted up certain artists in a way that allows their music to go all around the world instantaneously. Right. Yeah. Which it's, is a beautiful thing. You describe the messiness of that relationship pretty well. Cause it is that there's a lot to be raise an eyebrow and be frustrated at. And there's a lot to be like, shit, I don't know that, uh, we, we came of age as a band as DSPs were coming of age as the MO for mm -hmm. a lot of humanity for music. Well, a song like yours, uh, is it Eloise off of Finch, right? It's like that song's been heard 25 plus million times, probably. Right. That's a hit for many people, right? Sure, right. Now, people may not be shouting that at you at every show, like, please, Freebird, Eloise. But sure. <laughs> it's a way it's a way for, I think, a pretty poetic, um, intimate song to be heard almost on a pop level. Right. You know? Did you think that that song would catch on the way it did, or is it kind of a total surprise? We knew, we've been proud of every single project that we've done. We felt like we've gotten better and better at our craft. So Finch was the last record, and we knew Eloise was, uh, if there was gonna be a song off the record that people might gravitate toward because it was more up-tempo or, or whatever, and it was a different sound for us to really dive into and try. Like, we hoped that people would be into it. It caught on, really well, uh, more than I think that we assumed on the front end, because we've never been what you would classify as media darlings um, <laughs> ever. Uh, and so the idea that people have streamed it as many times as they have, I'm incredibly grateful for anybody to listen to our stuff. And that's not just a political fucking answer. I'm really grateful. And I don't really know why that specific one has caught on the way that it has. But again, 
in the uh, crazy relationship with musicians and DSPs, there are some beautiful, beautiful moments uh, of gratitude that we have along with the eyebrow raise moments. But as for Eloise and how it's done the way that it's done, I, it's a smirk and a shrug. I'm like, man, so glad people are connecting with that tune because we sure as shit did. Can you, if you can remember it, can you read the chin up or young and in the dark verse like it's actual poetry so it can be appreciated as such Great idea you're right you ready for this all right but yeah. we're gonna get asmr so just maybe close your eyes and if you're listening, chin up we're young and in the dark we saw him resurrect in a muscle car there was an oracle we heard there was a light show it was hotter than a june kiss and i'm blushing a shade of licorice croon with your night lungs that old cicada love song Holy broken heart, you're a meaning well American abattoir. You're around us. Oh, be around us. Fiend. Mm. Fiend. There's a lot of thick words in there, right? A lot of. I don't know what you mean. Two C's? Thick. A well meaning, a meaning well American abattoir. Yeah, I love that word. It's definitely not going to be in a. Uh, Morgan Wallen song, you know. Uh, you are probably correct in that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he likes Cormac McCarthy too. Who knows? Do you but, feel like if you wanted to, you could write for total mainstream country? Like, would you yes. have we any have, interest in that? We know we can. Interest and have interest. Yes. Could also yes. Will someday, maybe. But yeah, I love my my first love of music was straight country, like sixties, eighties, nineties countries where we cut our teeth. We both we both grew up on nineties country, and so the melodies are like deeply part of us. What are you talking about, Garth? Previous, mostly like straight Reba, Brooks and Dunn. Brooks and Dunn's huge. Dwight Yoakam, Alan Jackson. But again, when I hear a song like Bishop, that does not feel like two bros from Texas writing music that they listened to growing up. I mean, it feels like a Shakespearean um, cinematic experiment, right? You have this string section coming in. You know, it could be literally in a museum in like a back dark room with like bizarre people dancing around. God, you're making us is, feel good. Yeah. Thank you. Gosh. I mean, like it's a bit out there. We set out to make something different between that was just what me and Andy liked together. Mm-hmm. If we wanted and so that breaks you out of tradition because we're not we're trying to just do what the things that fire us up on a very individual level. I was about to say this earlier. You said that we wrote that tune, Bishop, and it felt like this Shakespearean sci-fi wet dream that could be like Art Deco with half-nude dancers in the dark corner of the Louvre, which makes us feel really, really nice, by the way. But that's really just an outpouring of the fact that both of us are, we contain multitudes just like any other person, but we have just dumped so many different bits of music that we love into the crock pot of our brain and then it feels like writing music is just what Kyle referred to a few years ago as curating the museum of your mind. You're going through with all of these beautiful things that you've ingested and you're seeing what uh, what you digested well enough to make a distillate into a new song or a new lyric or a new melodic idea. And so I just, we never want to go onto the ground as a one trick pony, just try a whole bunch of different shit. And thankfully we've garnered enough people who like what we do and who have come along the journey with us that we feel the freedom to operate in that space which is super fucking fun and we're grateful for it. And we have no idea how we got here, but we're, we're happy about it. Paid everybody. Oh, money. So much money. I mean, Alabama haint could be your country track on this new record. Kind of right. Yeah. It's got a bit of a, a bit of a deep growl twang on it. And I say can't intentionally. Oh yeah. I pronounce it can't so that it can rhyme with haint because that's also how I talk sometimes. So. Ruin my favorite. 
never looked up love I was in soul and hands and knees Covered in foxgloves Where did that song come from? Who started it first? Uh, I gave Andy the melody through uh, Apple's Apple iPhone's voice memo. Um, so what was the form that you sent him? Like, was it the way it works is I'll send him what I call a temperature check on if he is interested in writing to a tune and I will do like a verse and a chorus and be like, do you like this idea? And if he doesn't like it, he either it like just gets kind of lost in the ether or um, if he likes it, he'll send me a message that he's like super fired up and will finish it and then I'll finish it and send it to him. Yeah. Do you take it personally if he goes, no, I'm good? I love it when he doesn't like it. <laughs> I love it. He's truly better at that than Very me. evolved. Uh, he is so much quicker, a major difference in us that has made me a better person um, and a better musician is that he is more ready to kill a darling than I am. I need Andy's full, I need to know that I can trust Andy. And so that's the only way I can is if I get negative feedback. Otherwise, I there's times when I'm unsure of a song and so I'll send it to Andy and if he's always going to say yes then I have nobody to check on my work so I have to know that there's things that he doesn't like and so anytime I get a negative thing I'm like great it doesn't matter throw it away I hate it now and I'll do a new song can you recreate to the best of your ability the voice memo of Alabama hate like what did it sound like I might even have it, have it. What was the name of it? Uh, time flies. Time flies. Or yeah. Time flies. Oh, you definitely have this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's I don't know what comes yeah. next. So we've obviously worked on it since. Yeah. That's its earliest iteration yeah. before it had anything. No back half. No. Chord. I mean, obviously, you have found your role in the songwriting. Uh, pairing but do you ever have the temptation to be like this song has to be about giraffes falling in love like is is there ever like a, a tone in the song where you're like no, no no this before we get started i really feel like this is about someone going down a river and capsizing when are you going to give me what i've asked for the giraffes falling in love prompt <laughs> i've made four of them once we get to a full complete album of it then we'll start actually working on it one turns the other says you're a tall drink of water and then we're off <laughs> see I'm we're off. uh i to andy's dismay sometimes don't know it until he's written the lyrics and so he'll spend a solid amount of time writing something to a song and i then i realize no it can't be about that i feel so bad every time i get, it happens. I get mildly vexed on that <laughs> so we've, i've had ways around that because like like i said like if I really like his melody, I go to work on it right away. Like I did with that, uh, with Time Flies, I immediately went to work. But sometimes he'll be like, yeah, I don't really have any prompts because I'll interview him on the front end. Like, does this feel like a certain mood? Does this feel like you've got a, a bird's eye view of where you want a bridge to go or is there a chorus or does it have any structure that's traditional? And if he doesn't, then I just get to work and I get fired up about it. And then on, at times he'll come back uh a week later a few days later he's like actually it can't be sad <laughs> and i'm like yeah. well, because yeah. what i've written is pretty devastating but there's I'll one song there's a melody that i think it's traveled two albums now mm. that we just haven't landed on i know the melody is really good but we just haven't figured out what we're supposed to write for it um so yes i am sometimes particular sometimes. in what the melodies are my wife tends to be the uh, very dry truth teller sounding board, um, yeah. which can kind of hurt my feelings at times, but she'll advocate for songs over like years. Right. Mm. Yeah. Where I'll bring it to the band. I'll bring it to a producer, then the next producer. And it like never quite makes it on the record or like, it sounds great when I'm singing it or like there's a duet of it. And then it never sounds great fleshed out yeah. and there's this song that our group dust bowl revival finally laid down called lying to myself that's been in 
like the rotation for God, six years, I want to say. And it's this very kind of sad, melancholy song about a couple realizing that they're going to break up, but like one knows a little bit ahead of the other. Yeah. And um, it's very low for my voice. So partially the reason why we didn't do is that when we tried to do it live, I could not be heard. Like I like I can't project in like low G or whatever it is. Sure. And so when this guy Ted Hutt, who's produced one of our records before, heard it again, he's like, "This song is like special," you know. And I hear my wife like pumping her fist in the background, you know. <laughs> but I'm like, "What are we gonna do with it?" And then, sort of at the very last minute. I was like, what if we just totally change the like rhythm of it? Right. So it's like not a slow folky song. It has almost like a, <laughs> almost like a techno beat, like kind of like, a, but it still has this low uh, melancholy thing over it. And then there was like pedal steel that was added and it's rad. It's like going to come out in like a month and a half or, t- or so. Finally, nice. people are either going to be like super, appalled that we're like what are they doing dance music now like what is this or they're gonna be like whoa cool but i'm terrified that there's gonna be no way to actually perform this live <laughs> you know because there's like electronic kind of some beats which we've never really used sure. um when you guys have a signature sound which is this soft intimate harmony i don't know if you call it folk pop whatever you've created how do you create that live with an audience of 500 loud drunk people? Like, how do you guys create that? We learned early on to use silence as an instrument, as another member of the band that makes the louds louder. It makes, uh, it forces you to entertain and perform. Uh, When you do songs like we do them, when it's just the two of us for most of our touring life, we really are entertainers, like performers and entertainers. And so the idea of getting people to such a place emotionally or like serotonin dump levels that they want to lean in and listen and not watch the game on the back bar, that became like a, a challenge for Kyle and I, major chip on our shoulder in the early days of touring where I would literally inside of my head say, I'm going to sing so fucking good (laughs) that that dude with his uh, Michelob Ultra at the bar watching the Marlins play is going to at least turn around and look. And then if I get him to look at me and listen for a minute, what am I going to do that's going to blow his skirt up enough to make him turn fully in his chair and pay attention? And I've sung like that or attempted to for as long as we've been a thing doing live shows. And part of it comes out of totally honest, the negative side of being an insecure person. Like me, like me, like me, like me. And it ends up being a inadvertent power for good when you constantly study micro expression on people's faces and you're judging in real time what they think of you. So it feels nice to be 36 and to be better and more well-adjusted when to use that and when not to use that. But for Kyle and I, we write songs for the most part that we want to be able to exist in the world of just he and I and a guitar. And then anything we add on top of that is just lanyap. Anything is just bonus. If the skeleton is good enough, then you can remodel the house, new paint, new drapes, new countertops as many times as you want because you really like the floor plan. And we've done that for as long as we've done music. And so honestly, you said you described a scenario that uh, thankfully we haven't had to be in for a while because people have just come along for the ride and they've stayed. And so it's, it gets eerily quiet in a lot of our shows uh, in moments where I think people just came because they, they came correct. They expect that and that's what they want. Yeah. Bacon in the summer, proven in the sheets. Never wanted to be a cheapskate. Higher cotton, please. Baking in the summer. What a holy thing. I'm gonna need. 
Where is the first big show that is launching these songs? Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham. Yeah, that's Saturn. First show in two years, almost to the day. Yep. Have you guys not actually played out in two years? No. You know, we live in different states. We've had tours that we've canceled. But, um, yeah, just haven't. Did a live stream, did a Christmas show that we also filmed on the same day. And so that was, was the last thing that we did. And since then, we've just been working, recording, writing music. We've got various albums that are underway after Ali Ali that we've already started and we're working on. And we just, we've used our time well because we love this job. And we also have had ample opportunity to sing and write and make and record. And you guys are able to make enough of a living from streaming and licensing or other stuff? And being savvy enough on the front end of budget. Like we, we lived on such a shoestring budget for so long that we know how to do it. We know how to crunch the numbers and live. And uh, we've been able to do so over the past few years and weather the storm. Of all your times playing around the world, is there a particular show that was the biggest nightmare show of all time? God. Like what was that one show that you always will remember it's either junk donnie quicksuits or there's so many they're just so many bad shows that happened so many nightmare shows especially at the beginning when you start when you venture out of your comfort zone like we were starting to grow in texas and so most places we would play in texas we felt uh welcomed and comfortable but as soon as we left texas there is so many nightmares that it's hard to really pinpoint one specific one. But let, let's go ahead and give a couple of stories. Okay, I'll, I'll give one. You yeah, one. we played at the Jade Lounge in the Pacific Northwest, and we go up there. It's our first time Where's ever. Uh, it's, it's in Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. We go to play at the Jade Lounge. I booked the show with my own emails. So thanks. <laughs> so we show up to this show and we walk in and the room is as big as uh, this Airbnb kitchen with a bar in the back. And we go up, there is no one in the bar. It is, uh, you know, two hours. Before. Hostile environment. It's as pretty, soon as we walk in. Pretty aggressively hostile toward us. And I go up to the bartender and just be like, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're the band. We're playing the night. And he goes, we don't have a band tonight. Um, <laughs> well, you you, you you do and it it's us and yeah. we're here. and he goes oh nobody told me well um sound equipment's in the corner so, write your name on the chalkboard over there yeah sound equipment's <laughs> in the corner, so, uh, let's go go see what you need so we go everything's broken like oh yeah the mic is flaccid. the mic is a full flaccid schlong and it is just like roughly hanging on by duct tape and elect electrical tape it's terrible we set it up and then we end up playing this show for one person who knows us <laughs> and he brings his parents who do not know us. And so it is them on a couch that they have turned to face us in this room. Yeah. And uh, so this one dude and we give, and literally it was one of those moments where like, I'm going to sing my ass off to this one kid who gives a fuck. <laughs> I give a a fuck. rock his and, world. And uh, he was very kind and complimentary. And his parents were like, you, you really did it. You, you sang a show. Thanks. So that was our <laughs> first experience in the Pacific Northwest. Thankfully, it's gotten a little bit bigger since then, which is nice. We played a show in Marshfield, Wisconsin mm -hmm. to seven people um, and got heckled by a wine mom who called it, who said, you will never be Simon and Garfunkel over and over. While we were playing, she got removed. She got removed. It's pretty great. Yeah. Um, which I don't know why her friends just didn't take her out. They could have talked. We were just talking with them. Yeah. Um, let's see. What, oh, what's another uh, good excellent one? bonus fact about Marshfield, Wisconsin. We were told to get cheese curds for the first time, and the restaurant that they told us to go to had recently burned down. And so they had created a second location and they had titled it uh, the sequel to the first, which is D's Nuts 2. No, no, it was nuts deep. Nuts deep. Thank you so much better. Yeah, it's so much better. Yeah, it is. Nuts deep, definitely with the Z. Great. Yeah. And the cheese cur curds were delicious. <laughs> Amazing. They were great. Um, if you guys could put on your own festival, my favorite question of the podcast, you guys get to put on your own festival. 
Penny and Sparrow, where would it be? And who would the first five people be that you would book? And it can be artists who are dead or alive. Love it. Oh God. Um, I have, I already have two festivals in line of dream festival scenarios. Great. Festival scenario. Ours would probably be totally different. Yeah. If we get each, you each have to do your own. Okay. Well, I'll, in terms of location, I'm just going to say Austin or uh, I'm currently in Waco, Texas. So I'll put it in Waco. But the first concept is uh, all broken up bands, um, all reunited. So we got Simon and Garfunkel. We Oasis. got we got Oasis. The Beatles. We got the Beatles. Like every band that was broken up for uh, enough time, and maybe even famously broken up. CCR. CCR. Mm. Um, bands that actively hate each other with a fiery passion. Actively hate each other. Oh, yeah. I would that I would I'm lose my for. mind to go to a show <laughs> where I knew that there was like who knows what's going to happen. Um, they don't even have to be good. I just and it's like you'll maybe never get to see it again. It's just a reprisal that you get to see, and then it's over. Into that, yeah. Idea. The other one is I would want it to be a more intimate thing, kind of like um, Ann Arbor Folk Fest, like a 5,000 indoor fest. Oh, that's exactly what I would model mine on. Um, so like in the Long Center or something in uh, Austin, but you bring in A-list pop and make them do solo. Um, like you could see Beyonce, just Beyonce on a piano or uh, Dua Lipa have to just perform just her and like make, turn her songs into a folk act. Mm-hmm. Oh God, going, I got to get five i love that yeah uh what are the other honestly honestly one of the most impressive like video live sets i've ever seen is lizzo's tiny desk concert on npr and just like i would pay a lot of money to actually see that recreated yeah like we're so used to seeing these massive pop acts with this like production that is uh like you're watching over the top sometimes you go to shows not for the music but just for the experience the spectacle and i which is awesome and like wish i had a budget that allowed allowed for that but i would love to see taylor swift have to do an entire set just her and a guitar how me and andy like are always playing i would love to see my favorite acts like that in the pop one more wait oh i got if it's if if i could oh i've got a couple i would say and this is inspired by his um, his cover, like a like a version, Childish Gambino doing uh, oh. when he did uh, Garth Brooks, Chris Gaines when he did that Chris Gaines song, mm. Austin You. If you haven't heard Childish Gambino cover Garth Brooks punk alter ego, it is an unbelievable version. So damn good. I would love to hear oh, him God. trip down. And then Ariana Grande. If I could just hear Ariana Grande play an entire set, just her and a pianist. Uh, I want to hear her. That would be fascinating. Yeah. My festival would be, here's the concept. It would be in the Paramount Theater in Austin. Okay. And it's a two-parter. One, there's like a, uh, you know how they do the World Cup drawing of like who gets the group of death, like a bracket system. They draw numbers out a month before. It would be five people. And all their names would be in the hat. And every time you go in to draw, the, you're drawing from everyone except your own name. Okay. So I would have like uh, John Paul White, Glenn Hansard, Sam Beam from Iron and Wine, like all, all these total singer songwriter crooners who are really good, just them and a guitar. And then I would have them all draw and they would get one of the other people's names and they'd have to do an entire set of that other person's music. Interesting. So you get Iron and Wine doing only John Paul White songs or Glenn Hansard doing... renditions? Yeah, doing all an entire set of Josh Ritter. Like, that would be so goddamn cool to me. I would love that. It sounds like a workshop stage at a Canadian folk festival. Right. (laughs) Honestly, yeah. It sounds like... Who knows, right? It sounds like a drunk back room at Kayamo. I'm so scared of the workshops. Yeah, dude. Workshops scare me, me a lot. They scare the fuck out of Kyle and I'd like, you just think solo? Based on how me and Andy write music, it is not conducive. We're like, yeah, you just uh, first get your voice memo app out, everybody. <laughs> uh, and now hum whatever you're thinking and send it to your friend. That's it. Make them do the lyrics. 
pretty great. Like watching some of those workshops we played, was it Winnipeg Folk Fest years ago? And it was like, okay, uh, your seven piece brass folk band, you're going to back up Josh Ritter and a um, Inuit throat singing troop from <laughs> As the Arctic do. Circle. As you do, you know. And a Moroccan drummer. Yeah. And a DJ from Toronto. I mean, would watch. Would watch. Are you guys uh, able to play a song to take us out? Yeah. Is that what you want to? Let's give it a shot. We'll give I it a spin. We can. We'll, we'll see how it sounds. We'll play a little bit and you let us know yeah. what the sound quality is. We haven't tried it. We didn't I, think it's, I think it's about how you are recording the sound quality over there. Which we It'll shall be fine. see. What is the song that you're going to try? Oh, yeah, what? Need you. Song off our new album, Ali Ali Oxen Free. Nicknamed Ali Ali. That's it. Nailed it. Can you hear the guitar? Yeah. You're not, yeah, I think I think we're good. I think we're good. I think we're good. <clears throat> All right. You ready? I suppose. A lot of words. Let's do it. Call that whole dream. I was always shit at that. We were at a drive-in, dreaming, kissing. We were parked in the back. They were showing some A24 pair I'd seen. Beautiful and full of sand. Then I get so lightheaded like her on the screen. I might be going mad. Somewhere in the dream, you knew that my heart would break semi-automatically. You said when you can't find quite enough air to take Copy how I breathe We were doubled up and crying And you were right there by me Which meant summer empathy See how I need you Everyone goes, everyone gives up the ghost us too Let it be known all the proud hours I hold around you will see us in red and black, mirrored white ochre hues. And I won't give one thing back. Well, that's how bad I need you. Well, eyes are dry, second film is on. Cinephiles recognize it from tone. You took a smoke break And I knew what that meant Was so long to pass tense You know I'm aggressively allergic And I'm sick of this party And we have to go home early The windows are down, I'm alright And I don't blame you For telephone pole bad news no blood, no revenue See, I still need you Everyone goes, everyone gives up the ghost Us too Let it be known All the proud hours I hold around you Will see us in red and black Mirrored white ochre hues And I won't give one thing back that's how bad I need you That's how bad I need you How bad I need you Need you There you have it, Penny and Sparrow, everybody. Thanks so much for uh, jumping on here, guys. It means a lot. Yeah, man. Thank you for having us. This yeah, was a great you. talk. And thanks for uh, knowing our music and coming correct. That made us feel really warm. So thanks. There you have it. 
Big thanks to the boys and Penny and Sparrow for getting on the line with me. You can go to pennyandsparrow.com for the newest. It's called Ali, Ali, and uh, they're going to be playing in Cincinnati, in Florence, Alabama, Nashville, Knoxville, all sorts of places coming up. And my group, Dust Bowl Revival, will be playing a free concert in the park April 24th in Long Beach. Uh, if you like what you hear, please share this show with your friends. Leave us a kind review in iTunes. And as always, the show on the road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupiton, and we are part of the BGS Podcast Network. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.